0: Who uh, are new to the scene so far this is, sounds like i 'm recapping a, a TV show so far in the church sermon series, we started out at the very beginning uh, with Genesis chapter one, and we saw how God made this this beautiful, good creation for us, and then we saw how we ended up not trusting him, thinking him a jealous tyrant and 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 trying to to take things for ourselves and you know the whole fall and sin coming into the world and it's dark and it's horrible and it's 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 not nice and then you you read and you go okay well I'm done with the nasty bits and then you go well let's just read genesis 4 onwards and you go oh well this this doesn't really get much better and it's just it seems like it goes from 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 good to worse to worse to worse to worst uh, and humanity through this time is making great strides in some areas but But in other ways, they are just striding further and further away from God. And I I think it's interesting, isn't just the pronouns that we use, I I just automatically say they are striding further and further away from God, but it's actually us. This is a story of us and and how sin comes in and it eventually draws us further and further and further away from God. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, let's read... um, Genesis chapter 11. I have got a Bible over here. It should be on the screen over there. Just before Genesis chapter 11, there's a genealogy, uh, which I will leave you to read in your own time, uh, which is interesting. Uh, Very interesting, the genealogies, and there's some good theological points there, but we're not focusing on those today. We're going to jump straight to chapter 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, or some translations will have Shinar. I like Shinar. Um, uh, And they settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And then they said, come on, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord, Yahweh, came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language after this. Well, nothing will be impossible for them. Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come on, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That's why the city was called Babel, because that's where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So the Babel incident is about people wanting to make a name for themselves, and, and, and really thinking that they could tame the divine to work for them. Sort of the, similar to thinking, treating God a bit like an ox. If you need to plow a field, you tame an ox to plow the field for you. If you need to make a name for yourself, a really good idea is to get a God on side. Genesis tells us uh, here in verse uh, chapter 11 about a group Settling in this Shinar place and uh, and building a city and a tower and New Living translations right there to say Babylon because uh, uh, Shinar is probably in southern Mesopotamia. Uh, so if if you remember your high school geography, the whole Fertile Crescent kind of area with rivers, etc., that that's kind of where Babylon is. And if you go, that's brilliant, Nick. I remember exactly where Babylon is. It's it's. Middle East somewhere think sort of Iraqi kind of region think, think rivers think alluvial sand plains I know that sounds silly let me just say you, we just came back from New Zealand at the start of the year and on the South Island if you go to Christchurch you've got mountains in the distance everyone knows about the mountains but Christchurch you have to travel 20 minutes to get to the mountains and it's just silt the whole area of Christchurch. You go down south and you've got mountains north of you and then it's just silt plains. It's, it's, it's basically just sand. Um, in Palestine, so in the place where the Israelites lived, uh, you would build a house using stone. What you'd usually do is you would uh, take stone and everyone would take stone because if you live in a place where there's plenty of stone, what are you going to build with? Stone. And so what they would do, they would use stone to build the foundations, and then they'd probably use mud bricks to build up the frame of the house and put a roof on it and all of that. Uh, And so, you know, obvious building material is stone, but this region that the people arrive in, the the plain of Shinar, the Babylonian region, if you want to build something out of stone, it's going to be incredibly expensive because you're going to have to get that stone from a mile, well, more than a mile away, a long, long, long ways away. Um, It's a bit like Egypt. You know the Egyptian, uh, how they built all their pyramids and stuff like that, and and the stone that they got for that, they had to bring from miles away. They were stupid rich, so that's okay. But, you know, there is a better way if you want to build something, and this is what we in Perth do. You go, well, we don't have much stuff. Well, we've got plenty of limestone, which is what Israel had, but we go, we've also got a bit of clay. We've also got a bit of, of stuff that we can make bricks out of. And so this is what they did in this plane of Genesis 11. They, they invented kiln-fired bricks. And in fact, if you do the archaeology, they reckon that the oldest kilns for firing bricks are found in Mesopotamia in this kind of part of the world. And the oldest one that they know of is about 6,000 years old, where people said, you know what, we really need to build something, so we need some, we need some bricks and we'll invent something to make bricks. Um, I do not have a degree in economics, but I'm pretty sure the cost to make a brick is slightly more expensive than the cost to pick up a stone. So building stuff out of bricks is more expensive than just you know, putting a stone foundation up there. And so what they would do in this part of the world, only the most important buildings would be made out of bricks. And it says here that they were building a city uh, which I don't know if, if you're like me, you just assume if they're building a city, they're building, you know, apartments and places for people to live and, you know, a wall around it for security. And apparently that, that's not the case in these early cities. The early cities were, were actually places for admin. So, yay, Genesis 11, we have our first record of somebody building a red tape center. So, they're building an administrative building. They're probably building a granary, a place where people can come together, store stuff, have laws. Um, and, and the other thing that would be there is a temple. In fact, most cities would be connected with, with temples. In fact, verse, 11, uh, verse 4 of chapter 11 says this They said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Uh, With a tower that reaches into the sky. Uh, If you read it literally, it says they're building a tower with its head in the heavens. Now, we actually have quite a bit of writing from this part of the world. And whenever they speak of a tower with its head in the heavens... It's basically code for a temple with a ziggurat. Can you guys all say ziggurat? I like ziggurat. It's such a cool word. Horrible place. Cool word. This tower that they're building is not the classical, you know, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair kind of tall, thin, towery kind of thing. This is, this is probably a little bit more like a pyramid. Um, I said your bricks were expensive so what they would do, apparently this is the archaeology that they've looked at, ziggurats and they say what they would do is they would build um, mud bricks so just sort of sun-dried mud bricks uh, and then they would put dirt inside that and then they would get the really expensive bricks and they'd put that around the outside so that it looks like you spent a whole bunch of money on it but most of it is just sand. So there'd be a stairway going up this thing, and at the very top, you would find a small room with a bed and a table full of food. In fact, if you look at your newsletter, for those of you that have a newsletter, uh, the picture on the front—the picture on the front—is an ancient ziggurat from Iraq, I believe, um, and you'll see that it looks a little bit like a pyramid. Uh, what's different from pyramids is, as I say, it's full of dirt. So there's, no, there's nothing in there other than, than a bit of dirt. The point of this is to get tall and to be able to access up into the heights, into the heavens, into the clouds. Um, I, I think the best way to picture this tower is to think of it as a stepladder. It's a stepladder next to the temple so that the gods can, you know, get their way to and fro from the heavens to the earth. And let's be honest if you've ever looked up, up is a long way up. So, you know, if, if you want a god to come down, you probably better have a rest station along the way because it is a long way. And maybe a bed there, a bit of food because, you know, who doesn't get hungry after a long journey? I don't know, whenever I go on a car journey, I like to have some jubes. Maybe you should put some jubes at the top of the ziggurat because you know what? The, the God that's coming down probably is a little bit peckish and you do not want a God to come into your temple who's a little bit peckish because you know what? Well, you might be a bit of a hangry God at that moment and nothing's going to work well. So they're going to they're think really carefully and they're going to make sure that the bed's made nicely, you know, hospital corners. It's going to have exactly the best food there. Make it easy for them. Make it a comfortable route. Just a show of hands. If you have an easy way to do something or a hard way to do something, who chooses the hard way? Brett. Brett, you can have your operation with or without anesthetic. <laughs> oh, Peter will do it. That, that's easier. <laughs> if you want to make sure that your God comes to your city that you've just built... Make it easy. Throw up a stepladder. And then they would come down and receive gifts and worship in your temple rather than, you know, some other place where they managed to come down. And really, you'd have a tame God on your hand, and who doesn't want some divine assists every now and again? If I want to make a name for myself, it's really good to have someone more powerful who, you know, owes me one. That would probably make your city pretty famous. Some of you might have spotted the flaw in the plan by this stage. The whole scheme assumes that God has needs, that gods have needs, uh, that God gets tired, that he needs food. and, And it assumes that if one can get God in your debt... Then the divine would be in your power, under your authority. We saw in Genesis chapter 3 uh, this thing there with, with uh, Adam and Eve, and Adam realizes that the woman needs him to fulfill her desires, and what does he do? He takes authority over her at that point. He, he basically starts, uh, he dominates over her, he names her. I think this is what. They're trying to do by building this city and this tower, they are trying to get one up over the divine. They assume that the divine can be controlled, can be manipulated. The whole thing of the fall in Genesis chapter 3 is about people wanting to be like God, wanting what God has come to chapter 11, it's not about wanting to be like God, it's about it's about trying to make God do what we want it's about assuming that God is like us it's no longer about us becoming like him, it's about thinking that he is just like us you know what one of the great slightly humorous verses in the bible is chapter 11 verse 5 of genesis but the lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building you go wow that that's a really good one nick you should take up telling jokes that's that's brilliant but actually it is brilliant because you know what happens you've got this whole system here And people are doing all that they can. A tower reaching into the heavens. They are going to have control over God. God is going to have to do what they say because, you know what, we've taken care of Him. We've made His needs to be met. We've, you know, we've given Him the easy way down. I don't know how they thought God would come down. But God comes down and looks at what they're doing. And notice also that it's it's in small caps there, it's God, Yahweh. It's it's the personal name of God, the God who relates to us, looking at this work of people who, quite frankly, have no relationship with Him from their side. They, They don't know anything about who He really is. Does anyone remember the phase we went through of going, you can see it from space? We used to always say you can see the Uh, The Great Wall of China from space, which apparently you can't really, because it's hard. But I mean, it's a bit spoiled now because you can see a fifty-cent coin from space these days, so it's not that is impressive anymore. But these guys were building something. They they thought, you know, we're reaching up into the heavens, up into the sky. And I just love the fact that with all their reaching into the heavens, it's so teensy tiny that God has to come down just to look at it. We'll make this thing, we'll make ourselves famous, we'll reach into the sky and and God has to come down to look at it. It's not like God had to get close. I mean, God is God. God knows everything. I think the whole point of that verse is to go, this is ludicrous. This is ridiculous to think that, A, that you could reach into the heavens as if the heavens is up and, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite like that. God, when he comes down to look at what they're building, he doesn't use their stepladder either, does he? They, God doesn't need a stepladder. God doesn't need a, an assist to go from heaven to earth. God just... God is God. He can move from the spiritual realm to the physical realm as He chooses. He made the heavens and the earth. And He's bigger than both of them. We throw Isaiah 66 up there. Why? In Isaiah 66 verse 2, God says this. He says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I'll bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. And it carries on over there. But the point is, heaven and earth, God's hands have made those. They're tiny. They, they cannot contain God. Their, their whole conception of who God is, that He lives in heaven and that He can come down to earth, is just so totally not in line with, with, with facts, with how things really are. The work that they think they're doing that's so impressive, that's going to make a name for themselves, that's, that's you know, the best thing ever, that's going to get God to owe them one, is ridiculous. God does not need jubes every time he transits between the physical and the spiritual realm. He doesn't need a snack. He doesn't need a rest. It's not tiring to him. And then God confuses the people with different languages in verses 5 to 9 and they scatter. Why does God do this? Well, verse 6 says to us, Look, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. God is not anti-city. God is not anti-urbanization. I mean, the Bible finishes with the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to earth, and it's a city. We don't end up back in the garden. We end up in a city. It's, it's, it's better. I'm sure there are gardens in the city. I hope so. What is God against here? Why does God scatter them? Why does God divide up these languages? Maybe maybe God is anti-us thinking that we are the greatest power there is. I actually read verse 6, and some people might, might be a little bit you know, at this, but... I read verse 6 as God being sarcastic. Oh, nothing will be impossible for them after this. And I think it's sarcastic because it's clearly obvious that many things are impossible for humanity, even if we stand united. Let's take something simple like death or saving ourselves from sin. We can't do that. Even if we all stand together and try really hard, we cannot stop death. We cannot stop sin in our own power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 we've raised this verse a few times in the last couple of weeks basically says, you know, Jesus holds all things together. All things were made by Him and through Him and and He holds everything together and, and the only reason we continue to exist is because Jesus wills it. That does not strike me as being able to do whatever we want if our very existence is reliant upon God. You know, the last The last battle is described in terms of all the forces of evil coming against God and what does Jesus do? He opens his mouth and they're defeated. It's a very uneven battlefield. I think maybe the people at Babel were building on faulty foundations on, on a foundation that didn 't recognize that we need God and not the other way around, they were building on the assumption that God is just like us. I would hate it if God were just like me, just like you, just like people. People mess up people. Hurt us. People put themselves first. People forget what they've said. People don't always do what they say. People are not always trustworthy. People look out for their own ends first and not for others. Can you imagine if God were like that? Maybe God... Maybe God stands against us trying to think that we are the greatest power and trying to bring him down to our size. And yet, there are so many ways that we can be like the, the tower builders of Babylon. You know, it, it's wonderful when we get prayer requests, but sometimes we've got to think, what are we actually doing when we send a prayer request and we've got to get you know, everybody to pray? Sometimes it's the right thing to do, sometimes our motives are right, but maybe sometimes our motives are actually thinking, you know what, if we get just enough people, God will have to do what we tell him to. Maybe if we say the right prayer enough times, God will actually have to do what we want him to Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he warns against babbling on like the pagans do, thinking that our prayers will be heard because of our many words. Jesus' point there, that's not... that's not how God works. You you don't get to manipulate God. God's God, we are not. Maybe... maybe we claim promises in the Bible. There are some fantastic promises in the Bible maybe we claim promises that were made to other people for ourselves maybe even out of context you know the famous the most famous misused verse in the Bible Jeremiah 29 11 does anyone know those words I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you plans to give you a future I've missed out a, a, a line in there great verse beautiful verse Let's not read the verses just before which says you're going to have 70 years of suffering. I claim that promise. But maybe we can come to things and go, we're going to claim these promises not because we're trusting God is for us, but because, you know what, we're going to force you to do what we want, God. There are promises made to us. But if God makes a promise to Brett... It tells me something about who God is, but I cannot say, oh, that's brilliant, God has promised you to live up to 80, that's great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live up to 80, I claim that. Brett might look at me and go, that, that's, that's great Nick, but promise was made to me. I'm not, this is not prophecy, I'm not saying that God has promised that you will live to 80. I don't know. Maybe just the simple we think God owes us because we've done the right sort of things, we've said the right sort of things, we've been to the right sort of places. Some of the scariest verses in the Bible is Matthew chapter seven, where people come to Jesus and and they say, "Lord, we did this. We cast out demons. We spoke in your name. We did all these amazing things in your name." And Jesus looks at them and says, "Yeah." but I didn't actually know you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, we we can't manipulate God by what we do. We can't manipulate Him by what we say. We can't manipulate Him by our prayers. We can't treat God as if He is someone underneath us. We can't live over God. And that's where this passage gets a little bit uncomfortable because, I don't know, maybe you guys are holier than I am, but I've done this. I do this often. I find myself trying to manipulate God. Have you ever done that? God's not a human that we can manipulate Him. He became human, but He doesn't need us. We don't actually have anything that can give us leverage over God. When we act like we have leverage over God, it's as ridiculous as building a ziggurat. It's as ridiculous as sticking a stepladder up against the side of the building before church on Sunday morning. God doesn't need us. We need God. We rely on God, whether we know it or not, for everything. God doesn't love us because he needs our worship or our stuff or our anything. God loves us because God is God and he loves us. He's, he is love. I think at Babel they were trying to make sure that God, any God, was their God. They didn't even know that there is only one God. They, they were just reaching out blindly, assuming that they The divine is like us. The God that they were trying to get on their side was a fiction. A fiction because they didn't know God. They didn't know the real God. They wanted God to be their God and they were trying so hard to make Him their God but you know, the thing is, God actually wants to be our God. He wants us to be committed to Him, but, but He doesn't want us to be committed to a false version of Him, to a version of Him who is less than who He is. And He certainly doesn't want us, He doesn't want to be our God on our terms. God wants to be our God and that is something awesome and amazing and it should make us go, that's a little bit scary. It should be Isaiah, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, a living among a people of unclean lips and God wants to be my God? God wants to be our God. You know, the people of Babylon, they, they were desperately trying to reach out to this false idea of a God. If God wants us to be his people, he would have to show people what he's really like. And and that's where the story starts in Genesis twelve. So in a way I started with a recap of, of where we're going from and now I'm just saying in and, and next week on the sermon series. But chapter twelve forwards is God's going I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And you don't even know who I am anymore. And so I'm going to go to one man. I'm going to go to Abraham. And I'm going to, I'm going to show myself. I'm going to show who I am. I'm going to reveal my character And I'm going to walk through all this time with these people. And eventually I'm going to come myself as a human born into the family of Abraham. And I'm going to be God with my people. And I'm going to save them and I'm going to bless them. And I am going to be the link between the spiritual and the physical realm. I am going to be that one who's going to rescue and save them. See, God cannot be manipulated into blessing us and loving us, but the irony of it all is that that is exactly what God wants to do. He wants to bless us. He wants to love us. He has a plan. He had a plan since before the world began. He knew that He would come to save us, to reconcile us. And He didn't come down because we made it easy for Him. If anything... Just my life made his coming the most difficult thing ever. And then we add in all of our lives into that mix. We did not make it easy for God to come to us. But he came. And he died. And he said, I am your God. I am your God. He came down not because we managed to twist his arm. He came down because we need him. And because we love, because he loves us. <laughs> Tower of Babel is about trying to manipulate God. It's about not knowing who God is. The rest of the Bible, the rest of history is God going, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Anna-Marie. Amen. Amen.